Hey friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Unfortunately, we have been led to believe by extremely clever marketing that meat equals protein and that we need far more than we actually use. Yes, protein is super important. I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say that. Protein is super important, but most people, most consumers, do not actually know much about protein at all. Other than that, they apparently need a bucket load of it per day in order to be strong and and build muscle. But we need to understand that these beliefs are not based on science. Our protein obsession is merely a product of commercial agendas beneath decades of highly sophisticated advertising campaigns. That's me, and this is a solo episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Hey friends, awesome to be back here with you again for another solo episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. If you're a regular listener, thank you so much for tuning in again. I really do appreciate all of the feedback, the comments and social sharing that I see following each episode. It's really nice to see that the show is having a positive effect. For new listeners, welcome. My name is Simon Hill. I'm your host and you'll be with me for the next little while. Hopefully, I'm able to add a bit of value to your day By way of background, I am a qualified physiotherapist, certified in plant-based nutrition, and I'm currently finishing my master's in nutrition. But much of what I have done has been away from university, speaking to experts and trawling through scientific studies to make sense of all of the diet confusion that exists and help myself and everyday folks understand what on earth we should eat to live a long, healthy life full of energy and vitality and minimize our impact on the planet at the same time. Today's a solo episode where I get an opportunity to talk directly with you about news headlines, scientific papers, and specific areas of nutrition that are topical or that I believe you will find interesting and helpful. In between each solo episode, I do episodes with special guests, doctors, athletes, people who have overcome chronic illness, etc. so we can hit topics from different angles and continue to learn together. In today's episode, I want to look at recent headlines in Australia about the dangers of fake meats, as the ABC News title read. Formula One driver Roman Grosjean's comments about the vegan diet being no good for endurance sports or endurance athletes. A brand new study published in the Global Environmental Change Journal, which led to headlines such as HuffPost's Why Going Vegetarian Isn't Necessarily the Best Diet for the Planet. And then I want to finish with some practical information. What does a healthy plant-based diet look like that will set you up 
for success? Have you feeling incredible today and improved your health span in the years to come? So let's kick things off with this Australian headline about the dangers of fake meats. Specifically, the news pointed to the high levels of salt in some of these plant-based products that have recently hit the shelves. I did a post about this on social media this week and and posted a blog at plantproof.com, but at a high level, sitting back, I witnessed two sets of reactions unfold to this news. Those in the the keto carnivore camp gleefully reposted the the news reports and and cheered to another blow to the vegans, as I called it, And, and others in the vegan camp were instead very quick to dismiss the news as the umpteenth attempt from the meat, dairy, egg industry to discredit veganism. Unfortunately, in my view, both of these reactions really missed the mark and and didn't interpret the results from the study as, as well as they could have been. These news headlines were off the back of a report published by the George Institute for Global Health, who teamed up with the World Health Organization, and the report was actually very good. So let's go through what this report was all about, what they identified, and what they recommended. So firstly, the the report set out to review the salt levels of mock meat and other plant-based foods, foods that you can buy in the grocery store and in in packaging. So why is this important? Well, it's well described in the literature that high sodium intake is, is a major risk factor for cardiovascular disease, which... If you've tuned into this show, you would have heard me say before, this is the leading cause of death worldwide. The suggested daily target uh, set by the NHMRC in Australia and it's similar around the world is about four grams of salt per day, which corresponds to about 1,600 milligrams of sodium. Now, I'll put all these figures into a blog for you because it can, can be easy to get a little bit confused, but let me go back through that again. The recommendation from the NHMRC for the suggested daily target is about four grams of salt per day. And that corresponds to about 1,600 milligrams of sodium. And to give that some context off the top of my head, that is less than a teaspoon of salt a day, which is incredibly hard to tease out when it's hidden in foods to to ultimately make them more palatable. And you may be thinking, but sodium is salt, right? And, and often, yes, they are used interchangeably in, in conversation, but sodium is found in salt. So for every one gram of salt, there is about 400 milligrams of sodium present. That's why the suggested daily target of four grams of salt is equivalent to 1,600 milligrams of sodium. So for every one gram of salt, there is about 400 milligrams of sodium present. The problem is most Australian adults consume double this per day at around 10 grams of salt per day. So with this this trend towards more people adopting a plant-based lifestyle and and more brands bringing out processed plant-based products, I'm really all for this sort of investigation, this sort of study. We we do not want the masses adopting a plant-based diet that ultimately leads to the same health outcomes that they would have experienced if they continued to eat an animal-focused diet. That that would be a terrible outcome. 
So what did this report find? They analyzed 564 products from 2010 until 2019, 2018 or 19. And they found that many of these popular mock meats in the Australian supermarkets contain just as much salt as their animal-based counterparts. And does this make them unhealthier than the the animal-based products? Uh, more than likely not, as they are, you know, they're free from cholesterol. They're usually lower in saturated fat. They do not contain carnitine, and and would more than likely contain lower amounts of, of sulfur-containing amino acids, and so forth. However, this report was focused on sodium and helping the public make better choices when it comes to plant-based food options at the grocery store. Some of the worst offenders when it came to plant-based foods and sodium content were falafels with one brand containing 1,260 milligrams of sodium per 100 gram serve. That's almost the daily suggested target just in that single serve. And and after falafel, there was meat-free bacon, sausage, and burgers. So what does this mean? What can we make of this? And, and, And how can we implement practices into our life to ensure that the plant-based products that we are purchasing are in fact going to improve our health. We, firstly, we need to consider this in context and, and, and then implement some of these principles that we, we stick by when we're shopping to, to feed ourselves and our family. So here's what I suggest to do at a high level, which will help you curb your sodium intake to a healthy level. So firstly, stick to whole foods that are minimally or as unprocessed as possible, where possible. So if there are some processed foods in your diet, just try and minimize those. That will naturally reduce your total sodium intake. Secondly, choose unflavored tofu or tempeh, etc., because it's usually in the sauces and the marinades where a lot of the sodium is added from a, from a flavor profile. So instead of buying these already flavored plant-based protein products from the grocery store, buy them plain and, and season them at home with, with herbs and spices and, and, and you know, low, low sodium tamari so you know what is going into them. Thirdly, in general, with any sort of packed food that you consume on a regular basis, try and aim for ones that contain less than 120 milligrams of sodium per 100 gram serve. So less than 120 milligrams of sodium per 100 grams of whatever food that is. If you're buying canned beans, try and get the low sodium ones. If not, then rinse and drain the beans because that will remove a lot of the sodium from that that's in, found in the liquid. And if you if you do want the the burger or the falafel, then then try and learn some some simple quick recipes so you can make them from scratch. That way, you get to enjoy the experience you're looking for without all of the loaded sodium that is in a lot of these these packaged products that are found in the grocery store. And there will only be more of these hitting the shelves in the future years. And you might find these ones that you make at home a a little bit more bland to begin with, but it's just like sugar. So as your sodium content comes down, your affinity for low-salt foods will grow. And finally, you you, you can enjoy some of these packaged plant-based foods like the Beyond Burger 
but do it do it as treats. So even even then, you want to look for products that contain less than 400 milligrams of sodium per 100 grams. So for example, the Beyond Burger contains 390 milligrams of sodium. If you eat a whole food diet and then every now and then you, you have a Beyond Burger, that's not going to cause skyrocketing sodium levels. But if you're eating Beyond Burgers, plant-based bacon rashes and high sodium falafels every day, then chances are you are consuming sodium well above the recommended level. So friends, those are some important tips to try and implement into your routine. And I included those in the blog that I put up about salt and processed plant-based foods or processed vegan foods this week, which will be linked in the show notes. All in all, I think this report was actually a good one. I just think that it was somewhat misrepresented by several people on social media who are pro-ketogenic, paleo, carnivore, etc., who really used it to discredit a plant-based diet. But make no mistake, processed vegan foods are not inherently healthy. Just like non-vegan processed foods, they are usually laced with sugar and salt to make them highly palatable. Yes, they taste good and and easy to over-consume. These these products are not what healthy plant-based populations thrive on. I think you get my point here. Lastly, one thing the report didn't look at was comparing these processed vegan mock meats to their meat counterparts themselves. Even though I think this discussion around processed vegan foods is is slightly off topic for me anyway, uh, out of interest, I'll, I'll actually be having a look at that, these processed meats versus their meat counterparts in the next week or so. I'm posting that on social media and on plantproof.com. Heading towards 2020 and beyond, there will only be more temptation to eat vegan junk food. We, we really just need to accept that. It's a, it's a slippery slope. I actually, I fear for, for the movement in, in, in some respect. You, you really do not want these foods sneaking in and taking up a significant percentage of your calories. It will undoubtedly reduce the benefits of adopting a plant-based diet in the long term. And in fact, there is a, a study I've spoken about before that looked at data from over 115,000 people and, and found that those consuming more calories from healthy plant-based foods had lower risk of heart disease versus the those consuming more calories from unhealthy plant-based foods they actually had higher risk of heart disease. And I've, I've linked this in, in my blog on this report, which again, will be in the show notes for you to refer to. Let's not forget that the modern food system built around factory farming and processed foods really sucked us in throughout the, the 80s and 90s. And, and look where we found ourselves disease riddled populations with people living out their later years, really doing it tough. We, we really can't let the very same food system somewhat now in disguise come back and, and do it for a second time. So I just want that to be really clear. These populations thriving on plant predominant or plant exclusive diets, the calories are coming from whole foods, fruits, vegetables, unrefined grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, etc. All right, next up, Formula One driver Roman Grosjean waxed the vegan diet, saying it has a negative effect on endurance athletes. 
Now, Grosjean is a fantastic racer, but from what I understand, he he's not a doctor, nutritionist or, or dietitian, and I really have no idea where he has got this information from. And before I, I dip into the science, I think it's worth pointing out that there are actually many incredible 100% plant-based athletes out there that are really doing amazing things in insurance sport. I've even had a few of them on my show, such as ultramarathon runner Rich Roll and and Guinness World Record holder Fiona Oaks. Then we have Novak Djokovic, who's been eating a plant-based diet for a few years now, and the guy is an absolute powerhouse. He very recently won Wimbledon in, in the longest Wimbledon final ever against Roger Federer. He, he also won the 2019 Australian Open, I think. And let's not forget Lewis Hamilton has been following a plant-based diet for a few years now, has stated he feels the best that he can recall and has won the last two championships and currently leads the 2019 championship. It certainly doesn't seem to be slowing him down. And that's just a handful of endurance athletes across the world who are dominating in their chosen sport fueled by a plant-based diet. I think the issue here with what Roman Grosjean stated is perhaps, or I, I'm assuming this is, is what has happened, someone or a few people he knows uh, who adopted a plant-based diet and, and then perhaps reverted back to their previous diets. It's, it's really clear that adopting a plant-based diet is one of, if not the single greatest thing that you can do for your personal health. It's going to dramatically reduce your risk of leading chronic diseases and and more than likely give you greater years of health to enjoy doing what you're doing. But if you are a top athlete and, and you have been used to an omnivorous diet, then yes, you you need to pay careful attention as you remove animal products. Why? Because you have a greater energy requirement than the average person and and commonly or at least what I see very commonly, when people transition to a really healthy whole food plant-based diet, because let's face it, this is usually what athletes are wanting to do. They're not wanting to transition to a junk food uh, vegan diet. So when when you transition to a really healthy whole food plant-based diet, often people under-consume calories, which means less energy, it's, it's not the protein. You can get more than enough protein. It's not the iron, et cetera. Most of the time, it's calories. But once you get your nutrition down pat and supply your body with adequate energy from a diverse range of plants and food groups, your body will, will actually be able to reduce the energy required during the physical performance. And it'll be doing that with clean fuel. What I mean by clean fuel is calories that come f- without the baggage of 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 animal products, the cholesterol, the high amounts of saturated fat, the carnitine, heavy metals, microplastics, hormones in dairy, etc. This is when people start to feel lighter and, and more energized. We hear it all the time. You get people who are used to running for an hour saying, I just smashed a, a 90 minute run. It, it felt so effortless. But you've got to get adequate calories, diversity in your diet from whole grains, legumes, vegetables, fruits, nuts and seeds. And And like anyone eating a plant-focused diet, supplement with B12, vitamin D if you don't get regular sun, and and an omega-3 DHA, EPA, algae oil. If you do this, you are literally getting every single nutrient you need, even all of the protein. 
mind you, without excess amounts of certain amino acids that lead to cellular aging like methionine. And of course, some athletes, omnivores and plant-based supplement with protein powders to to slightly bump up their protein intake to that 1.5 to 2 grams per kilo mark. We'll talk about this later. Uh, without needing to sort of increase their total food volume by that much. Plant-based athletes can do this too, although it's not absolutely necessary if you are eating enough calories. If you were to have a protein powder, I personally recommend finding a blend of at least two plant-based proteins like pea, hemp, uh, and or rice protein. And in addition to a, a protein powder, there is some evidence that creatine and beta-alanine are beneficial for vegetarian and vegan athletes, but there is much more evidence for using these for strength rather than endurance-based exercise, which is obviously what we're talking about now. And then finally, you know, I know some endurance athletes who use the energy gels for carbohydrates during races, whereas others prefer to use dried fruits, dates, and other whole food-derived snacks like homemade fruit and nut energy bars. That's that's an individual choice. Uh, some of the energy gels contain a, a lot of artificial preservatives and flavorings. Um, so if you were going to go for one of these, I would personally opt for one of the brands that's natural and there, there seems to be a few of these popping up. Anyway, moral of the story, if you are an endurance athlete and want to adopt a plant-based diet to improve your health and performance I certainly wouldn't be discouraged by Roman Grosjean's or anyone else's comments who hasn't tried it and doesn't have a background in nutrition. Adopting a plant-based diet is certainly an option for endurance athletes and something I encourage such athletes to look at doing. But yes, you need to take the time to educate yourself and plan out how you are going to optimize your diet for best results. It's no different to implementing anything else new in your life. It starts with learning. The next news headline that I want to very quickly look at, and and I say quickly because this one's fairly straightforward, but also quite interesting at the same time. And this was the an article published on the HuffPost website September 17th titled Why Going Vegetarian? isn't necessarily the best diet for the planet. Long story short, this was based on the findings of a study published in the the Global Environmental Change Journal. And as I said, this study is actually quite interesting. They looked at greenhouse gas emissions and and water usage associated with nine uh, plant-forward style diets with data coming from around 140 countries. So let me let me share with you what the study found. Then let's go back to the HuffPost article. Essentially, the study identified that a vegan diet is associated with the lowest greenhouse gas emissions and water footprint. However, what was really interesting is that what they call a two-thirds vegan diet, so two vegan meals a day and, and one meal with a small amount of meat, they found that this two-third vegan diet had a lower greenhouse gas footprint than a vegetarian diet, which is most likely due to the the typical vegetarian diet containing a lot of dairy and cheese with meals. But the problem problem lies with how this was reported. So here's a quote from the HuffPost. 
Much of the communication around the need to shift away from diets high in animal foods has resulted in people feeling like we all need to move towards a vegan diet, said Keeve Nashan, an assistant professor at John Hopkins University and co-author of the study. It's more nuanced than that. That's what they said. Well, actually, though, the report does show people need to move towards a vegan diet. When it comes to the data, it's not more nuanced than that. Any step towards a vegan diet is a great one. And yes, a 66% vegan diet is fantastic. But as the data shows, 100% is even better when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. And this is backed up by the FAO and and IPCC data, which I covered uh, in the recent blog on climate change at plantproof.com. And and yes, a, a vegetarian diet seems to to be marginally worse than a 66% vegan diet. However, what wasn't reported was how much better a vegetarian diet is for climate compared to other diets. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode. It's Simon here. Just a quick intermission to remind you that my book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. In this book, I cover common myths about plant-based diets, evidence showing the potential health benefits that are up for grabs, the positive impact eating plant foods has on the planet, and much more. To order your copy, head to plantproof.com forward slash book. Plantproof.com forward slash book. Okay, let's get back into it. So all in all, the, the HuffPost article was it was not that bad, but I feel they could have more clearly articulated the findings of the study. In reality, yes, the, the entire world is not going to go vegan, at least not overnight. But when we are talking about human and planetary health compared to the Western diet, the adoption of either a 66% vegan diet or a vegetarian diet is a good one. So my point is that rather than tearing down a vegetarian diet, we should be building it up as an option for people. Okay, the final thing I want to cover in today's solo episode is building a healthy plant-based diet perhaps the most important part of this episode, even for those who are years down the track with this lifestyle, even even if nothing more than a refresher or reminder, so to speak. What I want to to do here is really drill down into what a healthy plant-based diet looks like. How can you set yourself up for success? I've, I've spoken about this a lot with my guests and, and posted a lot on social media and on the Plant Proof blog, the upsides of a plant-based diet are tremendous. I believe when done well, it's the healthiest diet in the world. Is it for everyone? No, it's not. Let me explain what I mean by that. The benefits of this diet really are only on offer to those willing to pay a little bit of attention to their nutrition and do some learning. If you go into this on a whim and and find yourself eating a, a low-calorie, restrictive vegan diet that's not providing your body with ample energy and, and nutrients, chances are you will have issues. If you take some time, obtain a, just a low level of nutrition, a low level of, of nutrition information and implement it, you will do extremely well. So to break this down, I want to touch on five main areas. The first being understanding food groups and calorie density. The second being how much protein do we actually need? And the third being 
the importance of fiber and diversity in the diet. The fourth being important nutrients of focus when eliminating animal products. And the fifth being trends to avoid or at least be wary of. Let's start with food groups and calorie density. So the first thing to to make really clear here is that food groups do not just deliver one macronutrient, but they are often categorized by the macronutrient that they are most rich in. For example, nuts and seeds are often considered fat sources, but they are also great sources of protein. Unrefined grains are generally coined carbs, but but they also provide measurable amounts of protein that, that adds up over the day too. For example, three tablespoons of hemp seeds contains 14 grams of fat, which are, are mostly unsaturated, uh, two grams of carbohydrates, and 10 grams of protein. And off the top of my head, I think about two or, or two and a half grams of dietary fiber, every bit of fiber counts, and we'll get into that in a bit. The point being, when we eat a whole food plant-based diet, we eat food not isolated macronutrients. But understanding which food groups are a good source of fat, protein, or carbohydrates is good to know as it will help you construct your meals. So you may be thinking, what is the optimal amount of carbohydrates, fat, and protein in one's diet? Firstly, given that we all consume different amounts of calories per day, I will, I'll speak here in percentages So generally speaking, if you want to be eating in line with the longest living populations in the world, the people that do really, really well, they live long lives and are healthy late into their life, most of them get 60% or more of their calories from unrefined carbohydrates, 15 to 20% from protein, and the remainder from fat with saturated fat under 10% of calories. Now, I can appreciate that's a lot of numbers and and for the everyday person, you do not actually need to be consciously tracking these if you are eating a nice balance of plant-based foods and and that's the beautiful thing about a plant-based diet. Providing that you do not ax a a food group and like like whole grains and and you aren't going to uh, processed vegan junk food for your calories, you are likely to to naturally consume a healthy amount of each of these three macronutrients whilst easily getting more than the suggested daily target for fiber, which is over 28 grams of fiber for women per day and over 38 grams of fiber per day for men. And those are the figures, those are the dietary fiber suggested daily targets to reduce one's chance of developing chronic disease. We'll come back to to fiber in a little bit and, and discuss it in a little bit more detail, but I just want to add that I really appreciate that with all of this in mind, everything that I've just said, it can it can just be really hard to know where to start. This is exactly why I created the the plant proof food pyramid. Some of you may be familiar with it, some of some perhaps not. You can find it at plantproof.com and again I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. I created this pyramid to to make it really simple for you to understand where your calories should ideally be coming from. So let me quickly walk you through it. Some of you may have it printed, otherwise you could bring it up on your phone. It may make more sense as I walk through this to to have a visual. At the, the bottom of the pyramid, we have fruits and vegetables. These are the star of the plate. 
even if you don't move to a 100% plant-based diet, uh, a plant-focused diet or, or a blue zone diet is, is one where plants are the star of the plate, particularly fruits and vegetables. Ideally, you are getting three serves of berries a day, three serves of other fruit as well, three serves of greens, including your, your cruciferous greens like broccoli, and three serves of other vegetables. And this is easy to achieve if you eat three meals a day and a few healthy snacks. Then above fruit and veg is, is whole grains, of which I recommend three serves a day, which is incredibly important for, for helping you hit your fiber goals, along with providing protein and, and many other micronutrients. Above this layer is legumes and high-fat whole foods like nuts, seeds, and avocado. Typically speaking, I recommend three serves of legumes and also three serves, at least three serves of high-fat whole foods per day. Question I often get about fat is whether we should be consciously limiting these foods in our diet, limiting fat intake from from, from healthy plant foods like nuts and seeds and, and, and avocado. This, this sort of limitation of fat is really only supported in the science for those who have cardiovascular disease uh, and diabetes, existing cardiovascular disease and diabetes, and are looking for disease reversal or at least minimizing the chance of progression uh, or complications. If you are healthy and active and, and reaching your fiber targets, then having slightly high fat intake doesn't appear to be a concern. And, and what makes me say that? Well, some of the blue zone regions do in fact have higher fat intakes than this sort of op, often super low fat vegan diet that, that well-known doctors recommend. In, in my view, based on the, the totality of the science that we have today, high fat diets become an issue when the consumption of fat comes at the expense of healthy unrefined carbohydrates that are packed with fiber. Now, certainly, we want to minimize or completely remove, if you can, the consumption of animal products because these tend to be very rich in saturated fat. Whereas, you know, besides coconut oil and palm oil, most plant-based fat sources are far higher in unsaturated fats. When it comes to legumes, a, a typical serve is half a cup cooked or 100 grams of tofu. Uh, three serves uh, a day of, of these is pretty achievable for most people. At the top of the pyramid, I have a spot for cooking oils and processed foods. Of course, these are going to sneak into most people's diets. And again, context is key. The, the healthier you are and the more whole plant foods you eat, the less detrimental these are likely to be. However, you, you really do not want to make a habit of these foods coming at the expense of healthier whole plant foods as you know, over time it will take a toll on your health. It's likely to take a toll on your health for most people. Processed oils and, and processed food in general are typically very calorie dense and, and less nutrient dense than foods in their natural state. And what I mean by this is that rather than consuming excess amounts of olive oil for the sake of it, I'd rather you get those calories from avocado, nuts and seeds in their whole form. That way you get more fiber and micronutrients and are also less likely to overconsume calories 
due to being more satiated. When it comes to calorie density, it's important to understand that high-fat whole foods will provide more energy or calories for any given volume than other whole foods. For example, one tablespoon of peanut butter or avocado provides more calories than, say, one tablespoon of, of blueberries or rice. And this is because fat is more energy dense than carbohydrates and protein. One gram of fat is equivalent to approximately nine calories, while one gram of carbohydrates or protein are equivalent to four calories. The fact that fat is more calorie dense isn't something to fear, but more something to to simply be aware of as you can use this to your advantage depending on, on your overall weight goal. If you are wanting to put on weight and and already consuming a lot of low-calorie, high-fiber foods, you you may want to increase calorie-rich, low-fiber foods to to help you get into a calorie surplus. And vice versa, if you are wanting to lose weight, you may want to reduce the volume of these these very calorie-dense, high-fat foods like avocado and and increase the volume of low-calorie, high-fiber foods like broccoli and chickpeas. The moral of the story on this point is when you understand the calorie density of food, you can use this to adjust your total energy intake to suit your personal lifestyle, your energy requirements, and your goals. For those of, of you that want to understand calories in, a, in more detail, you can, you can track your food for a few days in an app like Chronometer or, or MyFitnessPal. This will it'll help you start to see how much energy your food holds. And I know people often say calorie tracking is unnecessary, but I think doing this periodically is a great tool. It's a great way to, to then be able to eyeball the calories in your food. And when you can do that, it becomes much easier to, to intuitively adjust the foods you're eating and, and portion size uh, based on your goals. And, and as I said at the start, if you adopt the principles outlined in the Plant Proof Pyramid, naturally you'll be living a lifestyle which lends itself to to a leaner body composition and lower BMI. That is the net result of minimizing processed foods, calorie-dense animal products, and eating more whole plant-based foods packed with fiber. Okay, friends, so that's the pyramid. And for those who have stumbled across this episode, thank you for stumbling across it, however you found it, or perhaps had the link shared by a friend and are not familiar with the content that I post on social media or on the plantproof.com blog or the previous conversations I've had with other guests on this show, you, you, you rightly so may be left thinking, but without the meat, where on earth is the protein? In short, the protein is throughout the entire pyramid. Unfortunately, we have been led to believe by extremely clever marketing that meat equals protein and, and that we need far more than we actually use. Yes, protein is super important. I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say that. Protein is super important. But most people, most consumers, do not actually know much about protein at all. Other than that, they apparently need a bucket load of it per day in order to be strong and, and build muscle. But we need to understand that these beliefs are not based on science. Our protein obsession is merely a product of commercial agendas beneath 
decades of highly sophisticated advertising campaigns. A not-so-active male needs around 0.84 grams of protein per kilogram. These are, these are recommendations off of the NHMRC website, which are the recommendations for Australia, but they're very similar around the world. So a not-so-active male needs around 0.84 grams of protein per kilogram per day. Slightly less if you're a female. Working on that 0.84 grams per kilo figure, that would mean a 75-kilogram man needs just 63 grams of protein per day. Now, of course, that's for someone who's not very active. What about the average person who goes to the gym four or five times a week, takes their dogs for a a walk, and perhaps walks down the the street to grab a a chai latte, hopefully with uh, soy or some other plant-based milk, on the weekend? Okay, so, so this person needs more protein, but there are a few things to consider here. At, at what point is excessive protein not being used by the body? And what is the, the opportunity cost associated with the consumption of excess calories from protein that could be coming from foods rich in unrefined carbohydrates and fiber, for example? The, the NHMRC actually suggest an upper limit of 25% of total calories from protein. For the average man, this is around 150 grams of protein per day as an upper limit. If you eat according to the pyramid and get enough calories, you will certainly fall between 60 to 150 grams of protein per day without even thinking about it. If you're super active, then then maybe focus on it a bit more. If not, don't worry about it. And yes, you will get every single amino acid that your body requires. In fact, let me, let me tell you a very, very interesting fact. I'm going to let you in on something. All essential amino acids, all essential amino acids start in plant form. That's right. The only way that these essential amino acids end up in meat or animal products is via an animal eating plants or an animal eating another animal that ate plants, the, they originated, these essential amino acids originate in plant form. But don't just take my word for it. I want you to do an exercise. You can prove this to yourself. Track your food in the, the chrono, Chronometer or MyFitnessPal app for a few days. I, I know the chrono, Chronometer app does this. It breaks it down. So not only will you see protein, but you'll see the amounts of the essential amino acids that you're getting. It will show you this amino acid breakdown and you'll see that if you have just moderate amount of diversity in your diet and you eat enough calories to sustain your energy requirements, you will get more than the recommended amounts of each essential amino acid. The moral of the story here is don't stress about protein. You will get far better bang for your buck focusing on diversity of whole plant foods and hitting your fiber target. Fiber is something I have spoken about at length in in previous episodes with the likes of Dr. Will Bolsowitz, Dr. B, Dr. Alan Desmond, and Dr. Serena Paz-Reacher. And I really cannot emphasize enough the importance of hitting the suggested daily targets for dietary fiber that we spoke about before, which are 28 grams of dietary fiber per day for a female and, and 38 grams for a male. You know, as Dr. B says all the time, 
all health starts in the gut. The, the gut directly affects your immune system, your mood, your risk of cardiovascular disease and, and metabolic disorder and, and so on. And the science shows that a healthy gut is one with great diversity of bacteria that thrive on prebiotic fiber found in plants. In fact, the, the greater the diversity of plants in your diet, the greater the diversity of the healthy bacteria in your gut. And that's exactly why I created the Plant Proof 40 Challenge, which some of you may have seen on, on social media. That, that is a challenge built around consuming 40 unique plants in a week. If you, if you haven't seen it, then I encourage you to give it a go. Some of you may be surprised how much diversity is already in your diet and, and others may, may identify how little diversity um, they have. You know, I'll put my hand up. I, I often fall into the trap of eating the same things day in, day out. It, it happens to all of us. Um, but on this challenge, one thing to, to clarify is that by 40 unique plants, I mean whole food fresh plants. So herbs do count, but in their, in their fresh plant form, not the dried form. If you do give it a go, use the, the hashtag plantproof40 on social media to, to share your results with me. I'd love to see how you get on with it. It's, it's, the, it's this sort of challenge which is so much more important than counting the grams of, of protein that you consume per day. Hey friends, me again. Quick note to let you know, I have a brand new, completely complimentary two-week plant-based meal plan on my website. Inside contains delicious breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snack recipes, along with a complete breakdown of the nutritional information for each. Whether you're looking to add one plant-based meal to your weekly regime or go full plant, I'm sure you'll find this resource helpful. You can get your copy today at plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. That's plantproof.com forward slash meal plan. Okay, let's get back into it. So that's protein and fiber out of the way. There, there are a few other nutrients, though, that I would like you to, to pay attention to. These are vitamin B12, vitamin D, and omega-3s, all of which I recommend you supplement. So, so hear me out on each of these. All right, let's start with vitamin B12. So B12 is made by bacteria in the soil and bacteria in the digestive tract of, of ruminant animals. In 2019, anyone living a plant-focused or a plant-exclusive diet really must supplement B12. And, and I know some people will say otherwise, but the science just isn't there to support getting B12 from plant-based foods. Our soil is degraded and, and hygiene standards are too high such that B12 at least in its active form, is essentially non-existent within plants today. Even omnivores, particularly those over 50 as absorption rates decrease, are having troubles with B12 deficiency. So, so please, if you're living a plant-focused or exclusive diet, supplement B12. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's going to help optimize your nutrition for best results. It, it's so easy just to spray your tablet daily or weekly uh, would we rather get it from plants? Yes, but that's not possible in 2019. So I think we can move past that as an option. It's just something you have to do in order to really reap the benefits of a plant-based diet. The second nutrient of focus that I mentioned is vitamin D. As a result of people spending more and more time indoors and, and covered up, vitamin D deficiency 
is on the rise. Although most vitamin D, it does come from the sun. A small amount comes from animal products. So anyone removing animal products needs to focus on vitamin D that little bit more. It's, it's also important for anyone with darker skin as they require greater sun exposure to produce an equivalent amount of vitamin D. If you are not getting 20 minutes of sun exposure per day, you, you really should consider supplementing. I personally take 1,000 IUs per day, which is about 25 micrograms of vitamin D. Uh, it's well below the upper limit, but it will ensure uh, vitamin D adequacy. And, and this is even more important for people from countries that get minimal sunlight. The third nutrient I recommend people supplement is omega-3 with an algae oil. I've written some, some detailed blogs on omega-3s in the past, uh, but in short, the, the form that our body uses for a bunch of, of really important functions is DHA and EPA, which are called long-chain fatty acids. Plant foods, most of the omega-3 plant foods that are, that are consumed on a day-to-day basis, they don't contain these. They instead contain the short-chain fatty acid ALA, which our body can convert to DHA and EPA, but it, that conversion rate differs between people. So to play it safe, I recommend supplementing directly with a DHA and EPA-sourced omega-3 from marine algae, which, mind you, is where the fish get their omega-3s from in the first place. So by cutting out that, that middleman, you're, you're getting a clean source of omega-3s without the risk of mercury, uh, microplastic, dioxin, PCB, uh, et cetera, which you could otherwise be exposed to through regular consumption of fish. Some of you may have seen me post about Nutrikind. I recently formulated a product for a company in Sydney who produces TGA registered supplements. The, the Nutrikind Essential 3, which I formulated, contains vitamin B12, vitamin D, and omega-3 in the right dosages in one single capsule, making it super easy to consume daily, making it hard to forget uh, to take, which is one of the problems with supplements. I think they've launched the product now and it ships globally. Uh, if not, they will soon. I'll put the link in, in the show notes and on plantproof.com for anyone interested in learning more. When when formulating this product, there were a few key considerations uh, with regards to the source of each ingredient. So whether you buy the Nutricon supplement or you buy other supplements, I believe these will be helpful for you to know. There's a lot of debate around which form of B12 to, to use and to recommend. I personally recommend cyanocobalamin. The, the clinical studies that look at reversing deficiency are based on this form, cyanocobalamin, and this is the only form that seems to break down into the two active forms of B12, methylcobalamin and adenosocobalamin. While I will admit it's somewhat confusing. There, there is some school of thought that if you were supplementing with methylcobalamin, you would also need adenosocobalamin to ensure you have both active forms of B12. So my recommendation is cyanocobalamin unless you have a known genetic mutation. For vitamin D, I suggest either vitamin D2 or D3 from plant lichen. Most vitamin D3 is from sheep's wool, so if you want a truly vegan vitamin D supplement, go with vitamin D2 or D3 from plant lichen, which was what was used in the Nutrikind Essential 3. 
Finally, for the Omega-3, you want one sourced from marine algae that is farmed outside, away from the ocean. Being outside of the ocean means it's it's more sustainable and, and also they can better control the environment for toxins like heavy metals. Aside from vitamin B12, vitamin D, and omega-3s, there, there are other nutrients that become particularly important during pregnancy, like folate, for example. But these are, these are important no matter what dietary framework you follow and, and really supplementation of these should be guided by your doctor during this period of your life. Also for anyone living a plant-based lifestyle or consuming a plant-focused diet, I recommend they pay attention to including enough iodine-rich seafoods in their diet or using iodized salt or, or supplementing with iodine. Often when talking about nutrients of focus like this, I get asked about laboratory tests and, and including blood tests and what I think about them. I think doing regular blood work is, is a really good idea for a few reasons, particularly before you transition to a plant-based diet. The first being that it allows you to see if you have any areas of deficiency that you need to focus on and, and build your plant-based diet and possibly supplementation around. For example, if you are low in iodine, then working to include more sea vegetables into your diet or iodized salt will be important. It allows you to see your current blood lipid profile, your cholesterol and triglycerides, which will significantly improve for the majority of people who move to a whole food plant-based diet. And you know, getting your lipid profile right is crucial to preventing your chance of having a cardiovascular event, heart attack or a stroke. Also, having these, these tests allow you to see your progress when you perform a retest at 6 or 12 months, giving you that confidence that your decision to eliminate animal products has been a good one, not only for the planet and the animals, but also for your health. I find this uh, makes people less likely to go back to eating animal products. I have a complete blog that I'll put in the show notes on blood tests, but at a high level, I, I do quickly want to go over blood tests for B12 levels as this comes up often and I think it's really important. Serum B12 can be a very inaccurate and unreliable test as you can often get a false positive whereby your levels seem fine because the serum B12 test doesn't account for inactive B12 analogs in the blood. In other words, your, your B12 serum result may contain inactive B12 analogs, which do not have the same biological effect as active B12. So that's why I recommend getting MMA and homocysteine tested as well. If both of these are elevated, it points to B12 deficiency. If just homocysteine is elevated but MMA is fine, it points to folate deficiency. You can request either of these with your doctor. Sometimes they are covered by Medicare or your national health provider. Sometimes they aren't. So it's best to check. If you, if you want to know more uh, blood test tips, find the blood test tips for vegans blog at plantproof.com and you can read about this and, and take it to your next doctor's appointment as well. Finally, I just want to finish this one off with diets I wouldn't necessarily recommend unless you had a really clearly defined reason and were, were doing so under the advice of a, an extremely experienced health professional or you're someone who understands nutrition inside out yourself. 
particularly for a prolonged period. And, and I'm talking about a raw vegan diet, prolonged fasting periods, and sustained juice cleanses. Each of these make it harder to, to reach energy and essential nutrient requirements and, and typically reduce the diversity in one's diet. Instead, I support a whole food plant-based diet with a combination of cooked and raw foods that is focused on abundance and diversity. It's these super restrictive type of diets which I have unfortunately seen negatively affect people's health over the long term, often taking them to a point where they are required or feel they are required to add calorie-dense animal foods back into their diet because they have literally starved their cells of nutrition. Now, I'm not saying a raw vegan diet cannot work. It can, but it's, it's quite rare and you have to be super informed, very diligent, and the majority of people transitioning to a plant-based diet will, in my opinion, do better with a, a whole food plant-based diet that doesn't restrict them from consuming cooked foods such as rice, quinoa, and legumes. And when it comes to juicing and fasting, I, I just think we need to, to learn more from the science. We need more high-quality science. We need some science on humans in order to be able to recommend them for prolonged periods. Yes, I agree, periods of being hungry and not always digesting foods seems to be incredibly healthful, and, and lots of animal studies suggest it prolongs cell life. However, Prolonged periods of fasting or just drinking juice deprives your body of the daily nutrition it needs. And, and as spoken about with Dr. B, consuming fiber daily is super important. So again, unless you have a clinical indication and are doing a prolonged fast or juice cleanse under the guidance of a very experienced health professional, I wouldn't be jumping into it. And when I say prolonged fasting, I mean days in a row, not eating food. It's different to, to skipping a meal or skipping breakfast. That, that sort of fasting, skipping one meal a day is very common. And as long as you're consuming enough calories from high quality foods throughout the remainder of the day, it appears to be very safe. That sort of fasting is called intermittent fasting. You know, often people eat between say midday and, and 8 p.m. But, but still, if you're underweight or a woman of childbearing age, I wouldn't even be recommending intermittent fasting regularly. I would focus on eating high-quality food throughout the day and giving your body ample nutrients and energy as your main priority before ever contemplating periods of going without food. Okay, friends, that's it for this one. We certainly covered a lot today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are wanting to learn more about anything that I discussed today, blood tests, a plant-proof pyramid, etc., please check out the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in to this solo episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. If you have been enjoying the show and haven't left a review on the Apple Podcast app, it would be greatly appreciated. It'll only take you about one or two minutes. If you don't use an Apple phone, that's okay. The other way you can show support for the show is by sharing it with your friends who you think will benefit from listening. Finally, a few people have been asking me if there are any rooms left at the October 4 to 10 retreat in Bali that I'm hosting with Journey Retreats. There are, as of today, still three spots available. So I'll pop a link to the retreat website in the show notes for those interested in learning more. That's enough from me. See you in the next episode.